This morning, as we get into our Christmas uh, series in the beginning, before we do, I just wanted to just take a second, church, and really encourage you with inviting people this, this Christmas time uh, to our Christmas Eve services. We, we said this last week that about 60% of the American population will go to church somewhere this, this season. Um, and they will be much more apt to go if you personally invite them. So we are gonna give you these cards on the way out. We really wanna encourage you. I want you to think about, man, let this be one of those just moments with you and God where you just give him your yes. And you just say, okay, Lord, there are people that I'm sure you're gonna put in my path that need to invite to church. And I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna take a step. I'm gonna do it. And uh, you know, it's when you really get off the bench, so to speak, and get into the game and you really start putting your faith into practice and action that you really start seeing God do incredible things. So I wanna encourage you with that. Take invite cards, fill the row. Let's, let's get bold about this. Let's not be ashamed. Let's not be afraid. Let's, uh, let's take, that, take that, that step, right church? Because we have the good news and the world needs it. Amen, yeah. Well, last week we, we started our series in the beginning and the purpose of this series is really to put the Christmas story in the larger story. And a lot of people, um, they, they, in our culture today, as we've become more and more disconnected from our, our Christian roots, they just really haven't really understood that the Christmas story isn't really about Jesus, the baby Jesus per se. It's not about the birth of a king even. It's this mind-bending t- plot twist that God himself came into the world, right? And people might not really understand, okay, so the birth of Jesus is Christmas and what the big deal about that is. But when you get the entire story of the scripture all laid out in front of you and you realize that at this moment in history, nobody saw this coming, that it would be God himself that would enter the, 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 the pages of history, that God would leave heaven because of his love for us to come into the, to our world and to take on human flesh. As we said last week, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is profound. Amen, church. We, we, said, we said last week that because, you know, God is the God of the unexpected. God is the God that is writing our stories. God is in control of this whole thing from beginning to end. When we have the plot twist in our life, we can trust him. So we can trust God in the plot twist of life. And I want to just encourage you, because you could be in one of those this week, you could be in a situation where you just didn't see something coming in your life. You didn't see, um, maybe you didn't see that divorce. You didn't see that, that, that diagnosis. You didn't see that unemployment situation. You didn't see that setback or whatever it might be that you just feel like, man, I just don't know where God's at in this. Trust God in life's plot twist. Don't, don't fall for what the, the enemy would tell you that God has kind of forgotten all about you. If Christmas tells us anything, it's that God is near and, and you need to hang on. And that's why I think coming to church and be reminded of, of those truths is so critical because when we don't gather together, when we don't encourage one another and be reminded of what's true, the only voices left to listen to are, are voices that would tell, you, tell us otherwise, that you know, God has forgotten about you or God isn't even around anymore. Or God's never existed in the first place, you know, all those things. And we need to be reminded, no, God is on the throne. God, God came once. He's coming again. Come on, man. That's, that's something to, to celebrate. Well, I, as we kind of dive into sermon two in this series, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to uh, just think about this. A question that gets asked a lot this time of year. And that's this. What's on your Christmas list? 
And what is it that you want for Christmas? What, is it, what are some of the things that you just really hope you get? And when you were a kid, that was the best question you could get, right? Like when somebody asked you, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Man, you had a list. If, if you were like me, you just had this list. And, uh, and so I was thinking about, you know, what is it that we really want? And really, the things that are on your Christmas list, they really say a lot about you, don't they? Uh, and as you mature, as you get older, you realize you really don't want more, more things, right? The things you really want as, as, uh, as, as an adult, you know, if you want, man, you want deep and meaningful relationships. You want peace in your life, right? Um, I was thinking about this and we have this shared note app in our uh, phone or on our phones among our family. And every once in a while, I'll get a little notification that one of my, my daughters updated their Christmas list, you know? And so it's always, I always click on it because it's gonna be funny, you know? Cause I've got these, they're not in here, they left, so I can say it. I got these cute twins, they're tw- 13 now. And they're in this middle of that m- middle school, right? Where adulthood collides with childhood and it's not always pretty, <laughs> you're that collision, right? And, but it's so cute. I'll open their note app and I'll, I'll get an update. And what I'll notice on their list, some of those things are things that my wife would want for Christmas, you know, Sephora gift cards, you know, tickets to Taylor Swift. I don't know, right? Um, but other things are like freeze-dried candy, <laughs> squishmallows, right? So it's like they live in these two worlds. They, the parts, parts of them want to grow up and get the makeup and the other parts like want the squishmallows, which are really cute little, if you don't know what they are, they're stuffed animals things, they're cute. Um, and so I, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, oh, to be a kid again, right? Oh, to have that on your Christmas list. But the truth is, as we grow up, you know, our list does change. And uh, when we do think about what do I really want, you know, what is it I'm really hoping for? It really is, it really is things like, you know, I really want something, I want my life to have meaning. I feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions or I'm on a hamster wheel. Where's my life really going, you know? Um, what kind of legacy am I really going to leave behind? Yesterday, we had a funeral for a, an older lady who passed away from our community here. She was in her 90s. Her name was uh, Frances Johnson. And um, at her memorial service yesterday, the title we just, the co- collective group, the family and I put together was A Life Well Lived. And Frances really did live superbly. She passed her faith on to her family. Uh, they were giving like a kind of a little bio of her life. And there were five great, great grandchildren in her family. She lived to see her great, great grandchildren. All of her children knew Jesus. And there was a table um, at the memorial that just had Bibles that she had read over the, her, the course of her life and hymnals and pages and pages of prayers that she had written out. It was a life well lived. And I was thinking of that story, and, and I think if that was on our Christmas list, we'd all agree, yeah, that's what I really want. I want a life that means something. I, 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 want, I want relationships that are, that are deep. I, I want to do something significant with my life. And so with that in mind, I want to look at the Christmas story, because there are two characters in this story, that the main characters, I guess, and they both make decisions that lead to that kind of a life. And I think we can learn a lot from that today. So I want to look at first Mary. I want to look at her story. I want to look at Joseph. And I want to look at from that lens 
of really making those decisions that really lead to that kind of a legacy. So let's look, let's start with Mary. We're in Luke chapter one, and I wanna talk about this um, visit that she gets from the angel. Okay, Luke 1, 26, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. It goes on, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Notice this, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. And goes on and he says, my, my, my little remote has not been working well today, so hopefully this works well. <laughs> Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and, you will, and you will be, he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So I want to um, kind of ask for permission. I know the story is very familiar, but I think the familiarity of the story can sometimes help, uh, cause us to miss the moment here and miss the pivotal just encounter that's happening with Mary and Gabriel. First, I want to make the observation that it's Gabriel that meets Mary. And you might not realize this, but there are very few named angels in the Bible. We might think that they're all named, but really there's only a few that ever give their name. Gabriel here gives the name Gabriel is mentioned. And not only is the name Gabriel mentioned, which I think is significant, it's what's interesting is how Gabriel addresses Mary. Because remember, Mary is She's a peasant girl. She lives in Nazareth, right? She's, she's had this kind of very simple life. She lives in a, a very unimportant place. It's in the Northern part of, of Galilee. It's, it's in this kind, of this kind of bedroom community. About 500 people live there. It's about two to three miles from a new town that's being built by Rome called Sephoris. And the, the interesting thing about this place and time in history is, is Galilee was kind of forgotten. And so for this kind of little young girl, I guess, she's probably 14 years old, to live in this forgotten part of this forgotten place up in, up in Galilee, up in uh, Nazareth, is really significant because this angel appears to her and almost salutes her. It's, it's just crazy greeting. That's why the text says that she's confused and disturbed by the greeting. She isn't expecting, obviously, an angel to greet her, but the way that the angel greets her is very formal and very like with superlatives, like you are highly favored. Now, we don't know why she's highly favored. We're not told what it was about Mary that really caught the attention of heaven. You know, we don't know why the angel greets her with such a superlative and surprising greeting. But all we know is that Mary is, is surprised and she, I can imagine almost she look over her shoulder like, are you talking to me, right? Like, why are you talking to me? Uh, and why are you greeting me like this? But not only is the greeting uh, very surprising, it's what God's planned for her that's surprising. God starts to, through the angel, starts to explain like, you're gonna conceive a son and your son is gonna be great. He's gonna be called the son of the most high. He's gonna sit on the throne of his ancestor, David, and his kingdom is never gonna end. If you can imagine, you know, Mary just 
again, having her kind of life planned out, she's this you know, girl that's already engaged to a man named Joseph, which means there's already been kind of an agreement between her family and Joseph's family. And she's just kind of never thought more probably than just those few miles around Nazareth. And, and now this angel has met her, greeted her with this superlative and told her that God has mighty plans for her. And, and I, I don't want us to, to miss that she's a real human being. She's a real girl with real plans, right? We kind of forget that about the characters of the Bible. You know, they don't know the script. They don't have the the gospels to read, right? They're living them. And I think this is just a fascinating moment in history. I want to look at what Mary says next. She she asks an obvious question, right? She says, how is this going to happen, right? Um, I'm a virgin. I, I haven't ever been with a man. I'm engaged to Joseph, but we're not married yet. We're in that engagement period. And then the angel explains how this miraculous birth will happen. This is, this is really powerful. Look what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the baby will be born or to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth hit that next one for me, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. So the angel Gabriel points to another miracle that's happened in her family that her older relative, who's never been able to have children and now in her old age, miraculously, not only has had a, a, a conception, but even though she's lived an entire life of infertility is now finally gonna have a baby. And so Mary is sitting there and she's thinking about this. I want to stop in this and I want to, again, put the story of Christmas back into the larger story of scripture. And I want to point out one theological truth here that you could miss. It's really fascinating because in this birth, in this miraculous birth of Jesus, there's this mirror image of creation. Uh, and, And you look at it in Genesis chapter two. Let me show it to you. In Genesis chapter two, you see this. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man and the Lord, and the man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is the creation of Eve from Genesis chapter two. But what's fascinating about the creation of Eve is the text says that God created Eve from the rib of, of Adam. Now the word rib is not in the Hebrew. It's it's implied. In fact, it's actually the side of Adam. And so we're not quite sure if it's actually a physical bone but, or what it was, but it, it, in all actuality, it's almost as if, and this is kind of how you should read the, the text, God kind of pulled Eve out of Adam's flesh. The, the, the two, right, will become one in marriage. And the original Adam, he had Eve pulled from him so that marriage is kind of like closing that loop, right? The man, the man was alone and God said it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so he pulls his helper, his ally, his powerful ally in his job of bringing creation back under the rule of God. He pulls Eve from Adam. But what's fascinating here in the creation of Jesus is almost a mirror image of that. Because now it's not going to be a man 
that has a, a, a woman pulled from him, it's going to be a woman that now has the new creation or the last Adam coming from her flesh. So this is this cool like mirror image of how God is kind of closing that loop. The first Adam is, is from the first Adam's flesh came the first woman. And now from a woman, the last Adam's flesh will be formed. A powerful image of how God is really deeply connected to the human race. And this is like I said last week, this is something that nobody saw coming, much less this poor girl from Nazareth. I mean, she had no idea that God would ever from her flesh create the new Adam to come and save the world. And I love how our, our artist, uh, Ray, she's just an incredibly gifted artist, kind of depicts this. I want to show you the artwork that kind of depicts these two creations next to each other. You can put it on the main screen. Yeah, so in the first one, you have Adam being formed by God. And so that's old creation. And now new creation is being formed out of the woman. And now here, the swaddled, the swaddled baby Jesus um, in Bethlehem, as we all know uh, from, the creations, from the Christmas story. So this beautiful picture. But I want to get back to the story. So we, we're going to leave Eve, or Eve, good. We're going to leave Mary now for a second. And I want us to go to her companion, to Joseph. And I want to look at him for a second because he's also going to be in this very difficult situation. So Joseph, he's a, he's a tecton. That's what the, the, the Greek says about him. That means he's a, he's a, a skilled worker. Joseph is probably a, a stonemason. We a lot of times thought of him as a carpenter, but the word carpenter doesn't quite translate this tecton word. And in that part of the world, there weren't a lot of trees. Most of the labor, most of the building, most of the construction were done from carefully chiseling stones and putting them together. And so it's, it's likely that that's, that's what his job was. Living in Nazareth, he probably um, worked a field, you know, like most people did, but he would also travel down to Sephoris and he was working. In fact, scholars think that the early life of Jesus, that Jesus himself probably worked with his father, Joseph, in Sephoris as a tecton. But I want to think about Joseph for a second. So Joseph is a, a normal man. He's, he's probably older than Mary. He might be in his mid-20s. And he's arranged to be married. And for a, for a Jewish man, obviously, as today, this is exciting. And he's looking forward to it. And he's got his life kind of planned out. His parents have arranged for this marriage. They've gone into an agreement. They've even kind of paid for the, the initial part of the contract. It was very, very much a very legally binding thing. And Joseph's probably been working in the evenings on the new room that would be where him, him and his wife would live. And this room would probably be connected to Joseph's parents' home. And so that's where you get this idea of God going to prepare a room for us in heaven. That's where that image came from. Joseph, he's, he's, he's preparing this. He's building in the evenings, probably. After working hard in the sun, he's coming home and he's preparing for this, for this wedding that he's looking forward to. But then one afternoon, let's imagine, I don't know how, he gets the surprising and, and shocking news. He gets the news that his, his wife-to-be, the engaged one, um, is pregnant. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, let's look at it. It says, it says as he, or verse 20, I guess, as he considered this, as he considered what? As he considered what to do. 
because he isn't sure his next move because he had, he had just gotten this news that this woman that he'd been engaged to, that he, they started planning their life together, that he'd undoubtedly been working on their home together, that this woman is pregnant. And this changes everything for Joseph. The, the, the shame, the stigma that's connected to a, an early pregnancy. Joseph knows it's not his. And so he can't just you know, take her as his own without really taking on the shame and stigma of that early pregnancy. Mary has probably told him about this angelic vis- visitation that she received, but is he really gonna believe that, right? Who's really gonna believe that, right? And I think Joseph is in this, he's in this moment of, I don't know what my next move is. It's a plot twist. He didn't see it coming. And so he's considering this. And and I just imagine that he's depressed, heartbroken, and he falls asleep. I could just imagine that's the state that Joseph is in when he falls asleep. And in his dreams that night, the text says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And it says, son of Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child conceived within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it says, uh, so I want to think about this for just a second as Joseph is in this moment and he's not sure what he's going to do. Look at the next verse. It says, what's, what about this child? It says, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I have the Wrong verse. My bad, guys. It's probably my fault. I think my connection didn't work. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it off here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I want to think about what this angel says to, to Joseph. The angel says to Joseph that this child that's, that's going to be born is the fulfillment of this prophecy that he was undoubtedly taught growing up. That one day this child would be born. We looked at that prophecy last week that there would be this child, this promised king, that the government would be on his shoulders and there would be no more, there'd be no more wars. He'd be the prince of peace. He would, he would have a kingdom that would never end. And now the angels confirming to Joseph in his darkest moment that these prophecies are coming true. So I wanna stop and I want to ask you a question, and I want to bring this sermon full circle. We started today by asking this question, what do you really want on your Christmas list? And I tried to answer that with what I think most of us, if we t- took a minute to reflect, would answer. And that's, man, I want a life that means something. I want a life that has deep, rich relationships. I want a life that has vision. I want, I want, really, I want, if you're a believer, I want what God wants for my life, right? And guys, can I just bring it full circle? And can I just look at you and put my hands on your shoulders and look at you in the eye and just say, guys, can I tell you something here? That kind of life, that life that you really want, it's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of something else. When you try to pursue that with your life, man, I'm gonna make something out of my life. I'm gonna get a career. I'm gonna go find that, you know, that best college and I'm gonna go to get that best, you know, that best internship and I'm gonna go to that best career and I'm gonna make something. When you try to pursue that, that way, that direction, friend, ultimately you lose because the deal with life is this. You shouldn't live your life as if you're calling the shots because you aren't the creator You're not the story writer. Somebody else is. 
and his name is Jesus. He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. He's the one that's writing the true story of your life. And the best decision any of us can make is giving him the pen for our life and saying, Jesus, you write my story. I'm tired of trying to decide what all my next steps should be in life. The truth of the matter is the, the pathway to a life of purpose, the pathway to a life of meaning and deep relationships starts in moments like this one. It starts in moments when you're not sure your next move. Life's a plot twist. And you have all kinds of chatter in your ears telling you, go this way or do that. Man, take care of yourself. Put yourself first. You need, to, you need to watch out for number one. All those things in your ears and you're like Joseph and you're crumpled on the ground and you, you just heard this, this shocking news that the girl you thought you were gonna marry is pregnant. And then you get this revelation from God that this plot twist is really God's doing. Here's my question as we, as we look at today. What will you do in those dark moments? Where will you decide to go when life seems upside down. I was, I was riding my bike this week. And I told this to the high school kids um, on Friday's chapel or Thursday's chapel. I was riding my bike this week and I was um, riding up to Boulder City. I do that sometimes to just go up there and study. And it was just a beautiful morning. It was one of those just really outstanding like winter mornings when the, the air is crisp and the sun is shining. There's people walking, you know, and I'm riding my bike and I was just thinking for a second um, of how just how good God is, right? And I was riding my bike and I was listening to the worship music and I said, you know, there's people all over it. And I was like, dude, I don't even care. There's anyone here because I'm going to worship Jesus, right? And I remember I was just kind of riding and I just like threw my arm up like this, right? It's like, like this, I'm just, and I'm sure I'm off tune because I can't even hear myself because the earbuds are in my ear, you know? And I'm just doing some worship song. And I'm like, you know what though? I am choosing, this was my thought. I am choosing to worship God in the presence of the multitudes. This guy is making a choice. This guy is making a decision. And if God's prompting my heart to worship him in front of other people, and it might, look, it might look silly, I don't care because I care more about what he thinks than what anybody else thinks, right? If God's saying, Brad, today's a glorious day to give thanks and praise, then guess what? These lips are gonna give thanks and praise, right? Because that's a decision that you gotta make. And I was thinking about this with Joseph. I was thinking about him. In fact, I was reflecting on this, on this actual story when I was riding my bike. And I know this sounds silly, but this is just, just go with this, okay? So I was, I was thinking about Joseph and I was thinking about him crumpled up on the ground, like I said, collapsed and fell asleep on the ground, having this crazy dream and having to make the biggest decision of his life. And then I noticed something in the text. I want you to see it. Hit the next one for me. When Joseph woke up, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord, the angel of the Lord commanded. And this was the image I had. When Joseph woke up, Joseph stood up. It was as if Joseph said, okay, I'm awake. What am I going to do? I got this life altering decision in front of me. 
I'm either going to go that way or this way. I'm either going to say, sorry, Mary, I have no interest in what you're, what you're doing. I, I just cannot, I cannot, I cannot afford all that's going to come with all the baggage. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I can't do it. God, I'm sorry. I'm going this way. You know, I'm going to find another wife. I'm going to start a different life, right? That was the biggest decision of Joseph's life, guys. And here's the deal. When Joseph woke up, Joseph stood up. When Joseph woke up, he goes, you know what? I'm standing up. This is exactly what God's called me to do. And I am going to do it. I'm going to live a life well lived because I know that when I follow Jesus, when I give my life to Christ, even if I don't have the whole map figured out because it's a walk of faith, it's sometimes scary. I don't know where it's going, but here's what I know. On the end of that is glory. On the end of that is is eternity with God because he leads me through the narrow way, the hard way. And it's the byproduct of a life that's lived that way. When you look around and you're 93 and you're planning your own funeral and you're saying, at my funeral, I want these scriptures read. And at my funeral, I want these thoughts said. And your family rises up and calls you blessed because you faithfully passed on a legacy to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Guys, that's a life well lived. And to finally wrap this up, I want to look at Mary too. And look at Mary's decision. She has the same kind of choice she's going to make. At the end of her conversation with with Gabriel, Mary responds, I am the servant of the Lord. May everything you've said about me come true. Guys, the Christmas story, the Christmas story, it, it calls us, it calls us to step up and to step out. It calls us to make this decision that, you know what? If I'm going to live a life that's well-lived, if I'm going to live a life that really produces all those things that I really want in my life, it comes by picking up the cross and following Jesus. It comes by looking at people like Mary in scripture or Joseph in scripture and saying, okay, that was then, this is now. That was their moment to make that decision. This is my moment to make my decision. And so that's what I want to call us to as a church. I'd like us to stand as we kind of, as we end today. And I want us to end with some meditation. I want you to kind of close your eyes and I want you to just kind of end with some meditation. And the meditation that I want you to end with is, you know, what about me and my story today? If God is writing a story and I promise you he is, what's your character? in that story. If God is writing a story for 2023 in Henderson, Nevada, and I promise you he is, what role are you playing? Are you the faithful servant of the Lord like Mary? Are you gonna stand up like Joseph and do what the Lord's commanded? Or are you gonna run like Jonah, if you know that story? The opposite direction. You know, guys, every one of us have a decision to make. Let me say something very important. Every life in this room is the sum total of your decisions. And they go all the way back to childhood. Whether you decided to cheat on that test or not, whether you decided to, to, to not to admit when you told that lie, when you decided whether or not you were gonna steal that candy bar, those little decisions They start to produce the kind of person you are. And at one moment, hopefully every one of us met Jesus. And at that moment, 
this powerful force entered your life and he started to change things. He started to say, okay, let's give her to that habit. Let's work on this part of you. Let's surrender here. Let's, let's, let's replace uh, pride with humility there. And Jesus started doing this work in your life if you've, if you've came to follow him. But here's the other temptation, guys. Let me say this. In that journey with Jesus, we come to these roadblocks. We come to these stopping moments. We come to these critical mass moments, these big steps. And it's right there. Some of us can kind of turn the flame of the spirit off and we can kind of cool. Man, we were following Jesus. Man, things were changing. Things were, giants were falling. I mean, Goliath was dying, right? Like that was my story. And then there's always the crafty enemies, just deceptions, the way he trips us up, the way he, he gets us off track. It can happen by just a tragedy that comes into our life. It can happen by some kind of offense. It can happen by some kind of just difficulty, some kind of, you know, unexpected loss uh, 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 where God didn't come through like we expected. I'm not sure how it happens for all of us, but they're all connected in some way. And these are these critical moments where we decide whether or not I'm gonna keep walking with Jesus. And so guys, let me just tell you this. The overwhelming theme in the New Testament is about being faithful to Jesus through the highs and the lows, through the ups and the downs, and especially when life throws a, a plot twist.